Cider sources may not be suitable for some listeners. The show contains strong language, mature content, and graphic details. Listener discretion is advised. Ladies and gentlemen, please make sure your seatbelt is securely fastened and keep your hands and feet inside the carriage at all times. We're back for the final part of Ted Bundy, and we're going on a genuinely wild ride. Please remain seated, feel free to put your feet up, and relax. This will all be over before you know it. (laughs) I remember a few episodes back, you were upset that you weren't that great at making new characters by changing your voice. You don't even have to worry about doing different voices if you can naturally create sound effects like that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I just need to learn how to be... Like, I, I'm really good at doing, like, the radio voice. Or, like, the overhead speakers from planes and shit. But I, I wish I could beatbox. That'd be great. And I take it back because you <laughs> ruined it. Whatever. Um, Alright, let's get this thing going. So, Charlie and I just wasted the first 25 minutes, which nobody is going to hear. It's not going to be in the, be in the uh, extended cut. Um, just kind of complaining about the state of things currently. So, welcome back, everybody! Um, it's 2021. Is the world still burning? I don't know. Um, we are your... Enig- I'm your enigmatic host, Shelby. That's Charlie. And Charlie. Okay, cool, you did say it. And this is Cite Your Sources. So... I think everybody knows by now, each week, the two of us kind of get together to talk about the darker, weirder, lesser-known sides of reality, and we are back with Theodore, whatever the fuck, coward, Ted, bitch boy, monsieur, fucking Bundy. Um, We talked about a couple of his murders in last week's episode. This week, we're going to cover more of his murders, some of which were in other states, and we're going to cover much more of the investigation side of the story as well. So I believe last week we left off with, what was it, like several jurisdictions gathering together to form a task force to, you know, find the elusive killer. Um, Oh, wait, that's right. Yeah, this week we're introducing a supernatural aspect to the mix. And we also have, I think we have a couple corrections um, to ourselves from last week's episode, which we will get to in due time. So, yeah, I think what did, we left off with, what was his name, like George Ishii getting involved in the investigation into George Ann's disappearance. Um, and then there was, oh, right, we mentioned, um, did, we, did we mention Ted's future wife yet? Because I know there was like Anne, uh, Anne Rule. Oh, right, 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 it was... Ted's future wife, Elizabeth Klepfer, and Anne Rule, uh, informing investigators that Ted had kind of fit the bill in terms of the uh, composite sketch that was made from uh, witnesses. Oh, yeah. And before all of this happened, there were rumors aplenty floating around. So friends of friends of friends and the like giving the same roundabout story of so-and-so's wife went back to the car and was gone for a long time, so he went to check and saw some guy carrying her, but when he yelled, the guy dropped her and ran off. 
But that is clearly not the case, as Bundy almost exclusively kidnapped at night, with the exception of the state park victims. And the task force would begin around July 3rd, I want to say. Police wanted to show the community and parents that they actually cared. And this is where the um, supernatural aspect shall be mentioned would come into play. Anne had a friend, um, RL were the initials she goes by, and she was an expert, so to say, in astrology. I love it. And also believed... <laughs> And also believed in the efficacy of ESP. So, uh, you know, why not try some astrological aspect? And upon seeing RL, Anne was told that all except one of Ted's killings happened in either a Pisces or Scorpio moon. The outlier was his first, which was a Taurus moon. RL insisted she knew something about the case and gave Anne an envelope, but instructed her not to open it until July 15th. She also insisted that another killing would happen between one of those two moon phases, either Scorpio or Pisces. And if it happened during a Taurus phase, it was the killer's way of starting over. Um, Back at the convergence of agencies, a man named Herb Swindler that's just great. Yeah. <laughs> How do you like that for a last name? Like, I'm just sitting here wondering <laughs> if if fucking R.L. Stein knows something. Oh, dude, that's the first person I thought of <laughs> yeah. when I saw that. <laughs> Obviously not that R.L. Stein. But if little Miss Obviously. fucking R.L. Stein knows something and wrote it down in an envelope and was like, oh, you can't open this until July 15th, I would charge that bitch as an accessory. <laughs> that's what you get. We RL oh. is a firm believer in the field of astrology. Charlie and I are at we have our fucking PhDs in bullshit detectory <laughs> and dumb assery. Yes, um, I think that's more so my specialty. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, like I was saying, back at the convergence of agencies, a man named Herb Swindler took over the lectern and made a passing remark of quote. Anybody here know anything about numerology? Anybody psychic? And while Anne hesitated at first, she did present RL's envelope to Herb and gave him the same instruction she was given, don't open until after July 15th. Then on July 14th, the Janice Ott and Denise Naslin disappearance would happen. Charge that bitch as a fucking except she had vital information. She knew She held them up. She what? Held them up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Obstruction of fucking justice. What's the maximum penalty? I think I think um, it's like maybe three years in prison. <laughs> I don't really think she deserves that, but that's just me. Hey, no, she knew. I mean, granted, she didn't know who it was, but she knew that between these two moon phases, I'm looking into my magic orb, and I see, I see another disappearance happening. Arrest her. You're about to make a lot of uh, baby witches on TikTok mad at you. I don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with at least five of them, so I will, I will, <laughs> right? I will reach out to them and be like, "Hey, can you guys like do some magic and protect me from this impending never doom?" Oh my god! <laughs> hey, I I find it's best to just play along, okay? 
Yes, true. <sighs> but anyways, my uh, belief of arresting Miss R.L., the astrologer aside, um, the uh, with the incident with Janice... Um, she was actually by herself, but others that were at the park had overheard the conversation that was that uh, she was having with the then the then mystery man, and uh, they recalled he'd uh, he had introduced himself as Ted, and uh, before he even nabbed Denise, he'd actually approached another girl, but she adamantly refused to help him. So remember last week we had made mention that. Um, Witnesses had reported, like, a guy in a sling or a guy in a cast. So he was still, you know, using that uh, that bit, that spiel, that ruse um, this time around. Um, so, yeah, so we're back to where we were last week. Uh, only this time, July 15th, had come, and the mysterious envelope was finally opened. And it stated that another disappearance would occur the weekend of July 13th to the 15th. And surely enough, that's exactly what fucking happened. Public outcry happened more and more, um, you know, with the insisting of, you know, an arrest growing larger and larger. People are pissed. There's this fucking dude going around just kidnapping people willy-nilly, fucking killing them in, like, one of the most brutal ways possible. People are getting pissed. They want, they want a perp. They want to they're fucking storm in the streets with torches and pitchforks. Um, and, you know, the task force is basically powerless. You know, they had all of this information, but nothing that could actually bring them a lead. You know, different people had different sectors. Uh, one of those people, uh, his name was Bob Keppel, uh, would actually bear most of the weight of the investigation. And he ended up being the person to know the absolute most about Ted Bundy compared to all the others like i mean hell dude like the scope of the search for janice and denise alone exhausted all of the quote king county's major crimes unit manpower into the east side area along with seattle detectives and personnel from the small town police departments near lake sammamish uh lake sammamish state park like they were fucking trying okay they're trying. And, uh, well, I would hope so. It's their job. I, it, it is. It is. It is. I know quite a few that are bad <laughs> at their job. you believe it? These people were trying to do their job. <laughs> Amazing. Oh, shit. Darling. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so when we say everybody was on this, we mean fucking everybody. And this was also... The time that police would get a sketch of, of you know, the elusive Ted, little Ted bitch boy Bundy, fucking Ted the coward, yeah, Ted the coward cowl. Um, uh, so yeah, dozens of people came forth with descriptions, and Ben Smith, who was the police artist, sat down with each and every person, carefully crafting all of their descriptions into a single sketch. And after the sketch was submitted to news outlets... Calls obviously came flooding in because everybody thinks they fucking know something. And just to reiterate one more time the scope of the investigation when searching for the bodies of Janice and Denise, quote, county patrolmen, Issaquah police, and 80 volunteers from the Explorer Scouts search and rescue teams, both on foot and on horseback, 
combed the 400-acre park, finding nothing, end quote. They were on the hunt. Fucking the hard. Hard. They're looking for the dude. They're, they're fucking trying. And uh, there was a Seattle psychiatrist by the name of Dr. Richard B. Jarvis who even got involved and built a profile of Ted. So <sighs> Dr. Jarvis's profile was, quote, the assailant was probably between 25 and 35, a man mentally ill, no shit, but not the type who would draw attention to himself as a potential criminal, end quote. Wow, that took a doctorate and, you know, eight years of school to be able to figure out. Right. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's insightful. There. Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's <laughs> mentally ill. You don't fucking say. Yeah. Oh, and he's young, so he could actually, you know, do these things physically? Really? I think, I think my nephew could have put that together, and he's failing special ed programs right now. Yeah, that's pretty bad. <laughs> Oh, shit. But anyways, so Ted, not Ted, Jarvis felt that Ted feared women and uh, and their power over him and that he would also evince at times socially isolative behavior. You know, Jarvis could see many parallels between the man in the park and another individual who was still serving time during the disappearances. Eventually, though, as time went on, the public seemed to forget about what had happened um, but obviously the detective sure didn't. Um, so remember that letter from Miss R.L., the astrologer? Well, Herb was uh, still going off of that regardless of all the ridicule he received. And the next Pisces moon phase was scheduled to happen between August 4th and August 7th. So, yeah, the, the people in the task force, or maybe just Herb, were uh, expecting another disappearance. Yep, but... Uh... Lo and behold, and very surprisingly, nothing happened. What? What? You mean RL was fucking wrong? Yeah, the How dare you disparage her? <laughs> <laughs> the disappearances suddenly stopped as quickly as they had begun, and that would be because Ted had left the state and moved on to greener, but also bloodier pastures. That's dark. <laughs> I am willing to bet that the son of a bitch got scared and hightailed it out of town. And I recall reading about police thinking that he was getting some perverse enjoyment from all of the news reports and things like that. But I almost guarantee the guy was scared shitless and decided to get out of Dodge. And remember the incident with Georgian, how Ted had tried to get someone else to help him with his briefcase while he was wearing a bogus leg cast? Yeah. Um, the girl he'd originally tried to get to help him had come in and told investigators about the incident. It was around that time, too, that Anne Rule took another look over the sketch and the descriptions and realized that maybe it was Ted Bundy. He was one of three Teds that she knew, and he was the only one who fit the description and the sketch pretty accurately. Yeah, and I actually don't remember if we'd mentioned another girl being asked uh, to help him, but I mean, either way. It, it's mentioned now, so there you go. Yep, if you didn't know before, you do now. But uh, back to Anne, she kind of refused to believe it was Bundy. He had, you know, presented to her this perfect personality that was, you know, tailored to her likes, and she was confident he was the type to never harm a woman, much less say anything bad about one or to one. 
so against her better judgment, mostly to ease her mind, she called Seattle homicide detective Dick Reed and had him run a search on Bundy. Sure as shit, Reed got back to her with an address and a car. Anne's idea was that Ted didn't have a car, so there was a surefire way to see if he actually fit the description, and boom, he fucking did. Going down, you but, son of a bitch. <laughs> Anne, uh, very uh, intelligently, still shrugged it off and refused to believe it was her good friend Bundy. Reed even did a drive past the house and did not see the VW bug, but again, Bundy was no longer in the state. Recalling Ted's college goals, Anne remembered that he'd been attending the law school at University of Puget Sound, but ended up dropping out on April 10th, 1974, um, which we did mention last week. And to go back to Shelby's mention of a correction near the top of the episode, it's actually not a correction because what I'm bringing up next was a second incident rather than a first. Everyone remember last week when Ted got accepted to the law school at University of Utah, which he turned down? Well, he got accepted a second time and decided to attend in the fall of 1974, right when all the killings stopped. Okay, so hold on. Wait a second. So he gets accepted to the law program in Utah right around the same time the killing stopped. And she didn't see any fucking suspicion in that? Are you kidding me? Like, mm-hmm. I know, obviously, it's incredibly circumstantial. But come on, Anne. What are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? You're getting charged as, as an accessory, too. Motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, seriously, though. Like, obviously, I know this was a friend of hers. But there's too many things lining up. Like, come on. And, like, I didn't even get through a tenth of a twentieth of all the fucking info on the guy. And as soon as I caught wind that he was working in like political party functions, like I put two and two together and realized that all the traveling would be a good way to fucking kill people without drawing that much attention, even though that wasn't necessarily the fucking case. But anyways, like my prior comments from last week aside, even if that wasn't the case again, like I just said now, it's still a possibility. Calm down, Detective Shelby. You're not a professional. Shut the fuck up. Yes, I am. Don't don't let it cloud your judgment. Also, very easy to say that you can put two and two together after you already know the whole story. Obviously, I'm I'm well aware of that. I am well fucking aware of that. I am am not that dumb. (laughs) I'm charging you as an accessory to bullshit. This happened long before I was born. Five years. Nice try. Nice try. Five years. Hey. I am the one that majored in dumbassery, okay? Not you. This is my field. Stay in your lane. Continue. <sighs> Whatever. I'd make a fantastic detective. I actually would. There was a friend of mine that went missing years ago, and I actually found where she was, and detectives couldn't do it. And, uh, yeah, the, the local police force did not take too kindly when I uh, very subtly berated them and asked if I could be a detective. This this is like this is a very true story. This is these are actual events from my life. I found her in like forty hours, and they'd been searching for a week. I was like, dude, she's down in Missouri. Are you guys hiring? Because you kind of suck at your fucking job. <laughs> that's probably why all the local precincts hate me so much. I'm just a condescending mm, asshole. To all I'm of sure them. that's why. 
<laughs> no, it's because I'm a condescending <sighs> asshole now because I try to be a detective. <sighs> Anyways, so it is worth mentioning that long before he had hightailed it out of Seattle to go to the University of Utah um, and allegedly get to, you know, Meg Anders, again, actually Elizabeth Klepfer, um, before he went to Utah, he had actually gotten a job in May working for the Washington State Department of Emergency Services, and that job did require a ton of travel. Even more circumstantial, like shit, you know, pointing to this creepy little fucking weirdo as being the prime suspect. Um, the place that he was staying was approximately like 60 miles from where he worked, and uh, the other people who lived in that same neighborhood referred to him as uh, referred to him as quote the phantom because he'd seldom be seen by them you know he would just be away for days at a time um to add to that he would also sporadically miss work without reasonable excuse he wouldn't even call in to say he wasn't coming dude is fucking suspicious he's sus as fuck vote him out he is the imposter good game everybody also, also, he took nearly a week off, July, like July 11th through July 17th, but this time he did call, but that was a fucking window in which Janice and Denise vanished. I'm done with these fucking detectives. This is bullshit. I'm leaving. I'm getting Calm off. down. No, no. Everybody knows he gets caught. Why are you getting so Because the skeevy little son of a bitch is fucking out here thinking he's all smart and high and mighty and shit without even getting into all the detail. I was able to piece together all of it and fuck him. You have to remember all of these little tidbits of information were spread across who knows how many people. He lived a stringently compartmentalized life. Take a few breaths and come back when you're calm. Please. No. My hus- my prior hostility that has been burning for the past month aside. Fuck this guy. This is all new hostility. <laughs> Sorry, everyone. I don't know what the hell has gotten into him. Um, I would say I've never seen Shelby so genuinely worked up before, but that would be a lie. Wait. Shelby, are you a serial killer? I will waterboard you. no 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 jesus fucking christ we are not starting this no i am not a serial killer i just want to be a fucking detective to either prove that i'm smarter or better than them or just validate other people's belief a certain someone who shan't be named that i'm just a complete imbecile no comment. Exactly. Fuck off. That's it. You are in timeout. Go sit in the corner and think about your behavior. Insolent man-child. I heard I swear. that. Don't care. Anyways. Uh, where were we before Shelby did what Shelby always does and lost his mind? Mm-hmm. Also, hold on. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. Wait. When the fuck have no, you seen me no, work? you're done no. talking. <laughs> Good night. Oh, it was the Department of Emergency Services job. Okay. So, yeah, Ted was doing that. 
Um, well, at least sometimes, since it looks like he had a uh, attendance problem. That's a, that's several occurrences for him. No PTO. Exactly. I'm still uh, trying to figure out where you've seen me worked up before. You get worked up all the time. I'm an actor. Oh, God. Anyway, Ted is poorly doing his Department of Emergency Services job, um, but he was saving up uh, money for his tuition in Utah. And in a letter he wrote as part of his application, he'd indicated that he was to be married to Meg Anders, or Elizabeth Klepfer, before starting the program. Um, A mention which got the registrar to recommend he be accepted. He did actually experience a little bit of teasing upon return from his six-day leave because it did line up with the disappearances from the park. See, Shelby, you are the only person who noticed that. The head of the search and rescue group even made a comment that Ted looked like the sketch that was all over the news. But sadly, nobody was serious. What? Everybody's getting arrested, I swear to God. Can I come out of the fucking corner now? (laughs) Thank you. Yes. You must be good. I am always good. (sighs) That is an irrefutable fact. You know this to be true. Don't even try to fucking say it's not. After that Um, Christmas present I tried to make for you, that's like 10 million (laughs) fucking good boy points on my (laughs) phone. I'm I'm pretty sure that Ted Bundy also did nice things for people at times, which is why people liked him. Okay, so... But we all know. All right, so what, we're just going to fucking say like, oh, since crime goes up in the summer and ice cream sales going up, that increased ice cream (laughs) sales cause crime? Come on now. (laughs) Yes. Correlation is a causation, Charlie. <laughs> Except for the times that it is. Yeah. Um, but in total, four people would end up calling the police to say that Ted Bundy looked like the guy in the sketch, but that his personality and demeanor could not possibly line up with him being a suspect. Elizabeth caught wind of it as well, and just like Anne, she put it out of her mind. But her friend Lynn would not let her forget about the similarity. Lynn was her closest friend besides Ted, and Lynn flat out disliked Ted. She thought that he wasn't dependable or trustworthy and apparently caught him creeping around in her backyard without explanation. I don't like the name, but I like um, the person. Lynn, you got a good head on your shoulders. Fucking proud of you, bud. <laughs> Even though Lynn insisted on Elizabeth going to the police, She refused and would not talk about it anymore. She was in love with him and still was not aware that he was engaged to Stephanie a year prior. Shortly before he'd left to go to Salt Lake City, she threw him a small going-away party. She was under the impression they would have a fun night, but they didn't. He left um, with only giving her a kiss. And with that, Ted Bundy moves to Utah in August 1974. Not long after the killing stopped. Are you calm now? Did you learn your I lesson? Mean, I guess I'm fine. I will try to not let outside factors interfere with my performance in the show. I solemnly swear it's on record. Pinky promise. I cannot break it. So, yeah, Elizabeth had also decided that when Ted was back for a brief stint to sell his car, that she was going to break things off. So now we jump back to Seattle, 
where a King County road worker by the name of Elsie Hammonds found what she thought was a deer carcass. A few days later on September 6th, though, turned out to be human remains. Uh, there were pieces of skeletal remains not two miles away from Lake Sammamish, where uh, Janice and Denise were kidnapped from. And lo and behold, the remains that were found were identified as exactly those two women. Investigators finally had a break in the case, and with rejuvenated rigor, the hunt was back on just as fiercely as before. A large area was canvassed in search of other remains, which were found with the initial discovery, but identities hadn't yet been made. Bundy had come back in mid-September to uh, sell his car and uh, was swiftly back in Utah very shortly after. Um, but before he had gone back to Seattle, um, he didn't hesitate in strangling an unidentified hiker in Idaho on September 2nd. So, fuck him. Like, can't go anywhere without killing. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, and then on October 2nd, he had abducted 16-year-old Nancy Wilcox in Holiday, which was a suburb of Salt Lake City. And uh, unfortunately, her remains would go on to never be found. The same would happen on October 18th to the 17-year-old daughter of the Midvale police chief, whose name was Melissa Ann Smith. She disappeared after leaving a pizza parlor, and her body was discovered nine days later in some nearby mountains. Um, ME reports suggest that she was alive up to seven days after her Jesus abduction. Christ. And keeping up with the pattern, Laura Ann Amy, also 17, disappeared in Lehi, 25 miles south, after she'd left a cafe shortly after midnight. Her body would be found nine miles away on Thanksgiving Day by some hikers. Upon examination, it was revealed that both women had been, quote, beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. And just over a week later, on your birthday, what? nonetheless, November 8th, yep, Bundy almost captured Carol Duranch when he was posing as a police officer, saying someone tried to break ah, into her but car. See, he, he, he almost, asked that, but he did not. My birthday remains sacred. <laughs> he asked that Carol come with him to the station, but when she noticed they took a road that didn't lead there, he pulled over and in a struggle accidentally cuffed the same wrist and she was able to escape. Hours later, though... Deborah Kent went missing 20 miles away from where he tried oh, to nab Carol. Investi I know. Investigators from the Kent abduction found the keys to the cuffs that Carol had on her. Damn. So wait, he so he was trying to handcuff her hands, but he put both cuffs on the same arm? What a dumbass. <laughs> yeah, that's what it sounds like. I mean, it might have happened by accident because she was probably flailing right, right. around. Right, uh, Yeah. And you know uh, how those, yeah. they like just lock down. I just like shitting on Ted Bundy as well. <laughs> Fuck, <laughs> couldn't even fucking cuff a person, right? You dumbass. <laughs> um, yeah, so while all this is going on, um, Klepfer would uh, actually make a second call to the King County Police in November after hearing about the Salt Lake City disappearances. So, Bundy was already gaining traction as the number one suspect, and Detective Randy... Uh, Randy... 
Yeah, Randy Hergesheimer. Yeah, Randy's a good guy, man. Um, so yeah, Bundy's gaining traction as the number one suspect, and Detective Hergesheimer uh, would be the one that would interview Klepfer, and he interviewed her quite extensively. So due to a Lake Salmon, Salmon, Jesus, I don't know why I can't see these fucking names. I hate yeah. that word. Due to a Lake Sammamish witness's failure to identify Bundy in a lineup, police thought that they didn't have much, but Klepfer had made a call to the Salt Lake City Sheriff's Office and explained her suspicions to them. Bundy was added to the list, but no evidence would be linked to him. In 1975, he had gone further eastward to Colorado and would abduct and kill five more women. So there's... Three other disappearances in Utah linked to him, but there weren't many details available, unfortunately. Um, I know he did make a couple trips back to Seattle to stay with Klepfer. Obviously made no mention of, you know, other women that he may or may not have been seeing while, you know, he was engaged to her. Fucking men, am I right? So yeah, Washington investigators were still struggling and decided to put together a database with all of the information that was available to them. After constructing said database and performing their queries, they were left with 26 names. One of those fucking names was good old Ted Bitch Bundy. And even after making a list of the, quote, 100 best, Bundy's name ended up at the top. Specifically because he was arrested in Utah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Going down now, you little bitch. Hell yeah. <laughs> Get dog. Where's Dog the Bounty Hunter? I want, to, <laughs> I want to see a Ted Bundy special from Talk About It. God. I almost want to say that it was sheer coincidence that he was caught because on August 16th, 1975, he was lurking through a residential area in the very early hours of the morning. And upon seeing a patrol car, he fled at high speeds. So because of that, he was arrested. Fuck finally. And upon searching the car, the officer found all kinds of goodies, including a ski mask, another mask fashioned from pantyhose, gross word, uh, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, rope, wait, an wait. ice pick, and other items that could easily be seen as tools for wait, a wait, burglary. Wait, hold on. What's they gross even about searched... pantyhose? I hate the word panties. Well, it's no, so they, nasty. Uh, weird. Interesting. That on that's the word I hate. People don't like the word moist, which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know why people don't like the word that moist. word. Just like makes my skin crawl. I'm always just like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. To, so to make a comment on the whole burglary thing, this is one of the tactics mm-hmm. that I hate most about the fucking police. I got pulled over, and I had a legitimate fucking mechanics toolbox, and they were like, "Oh, we've had a lot of car break-ins here recently. Is that been you? I see those tools in the back. Like, get fucked, you piece of shit." I mean, I would say valid question. Uh, mm, mm. Dude, you could be driving around with a hammer, j- literally just a hammer, and they'll pull some shit like, oh, there have been a lot of house break-ins. Like, why do you have a hammer? Mind your fucking business. I, I get... I mean, that. W- I think that was stupid of them to say that out loud to you, but I think in their position, I would put it as a possibility. I don't know. Know your rights when you interact just, with the police. People just think you're a criminal, so just get over it, Shelby. Not a criminal no um, more. Suck it, justice system. 
Okay, yeah. So he was arrested. They found all this stuff on him that seemed pretty suspicious. Allegedly. A little spicy. Um, but uh, they even searched his apartment after a Detective Jerry Thompson recalled a similar person and vehicle description from the Durant appear- uh, disappearance. Unfortunately, they did not find enough evidence and they had to release Bundy Why? from custody. I know. What they missed, though, was a collection of photos he had of his victims, which were promptly destroyed after yeah, his release. Are me? <laughs> the police still had him on 24 hour surveillance, however, and while that was going on, Detective Thompson flew to Seattle to sit with local investigators and Klepfer. During this discussion, she'd revealed that she found peculiar items in his apartment, including crutches, a bag of plaster, a cleaver that was never used for cooking, and a sack full of women's clothes. Okay, so I know how you feel about this show, but I'm really getting some solid Dexter vibes. Like, his wife Rita that you despise so much and went on that tangent about, like, what an idiot, like, come on. I distinctly recall you saying something along the lines of, you know, she was sweet and she was kind and did 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 Ugh. <laughs> I don't think I came across enough information to verify or disprove that comparison. But, you know, from what we did find, I would agree. Just totally oblivious. Yes. Almost to the point of, of being intentional. Like, how do you see, hear, notice all of these things, but you don't even really try to put That's anything together? And I know... I know I'd said last week that he lived an extremely compartmentalized life. Well, actually, I said that today, too. But, you know, come on. And I'm not even trying to disparage Klepfer, either. It's just so odd to me. Like, the overall capacity for, it. I mean, I think most of the time intentional human ignorance is astounding. <laughs> I, I'm not going to try to argue with you there. Yeah, well, anyways, like I said, I'm not trying to, you know, disparage her. Bundy's the subject of our disdain, so I'll continue. Um, During the interview with Thompson, Klepfer made mention of Ted being perpetually in debt and recalled a specific incident with a new TV and radio where Ted said, quote, If you tell anyone, I'll break your fucking neck. What? (laughs) Yeah. Uh... She also gave an account of a second VW bug that he owned, and during a different interview with Detective Kathy McChesney, Klepfer learned of his engagement to Stephanie in 1973. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Ooh. Add a little bit of spice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that probably, that probably having that knowledge probably helped move her along. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> When Bundy sold his bug in September to a teen from Midville, Utah police impounded it and the FBI tore it apart to examine it for evidence. They found strands of hair belonging to Karen Campbell, Melissa Smith, and Carol DeRanch. Oh shit, yeah, those so those first two names, we didn't even touch on those, did we? I don't I don't uh, I don't Yeah, I don't think we did. So. I want to say those were maybe the Colorado murders. I don't recall, but anyways, with uh, the doors shutting on, you know, on 
closing on Bundy even quicker. Um, he was collected to participate in a lineup where Carol Durange had identified him as Officer Roseland, you know, the man who had tried to kidnap her. So Bundy was officially charged with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault in the Durange case, was given a $15,000 bail, which would get paid by his parents, and he would move back to Seattle, wow. living with Klepfer yet again. See, Wait, hmm. so she's been going through all this behind his back and then let him come and stay with her after he was charged with kidnapping and criminal yeah. assault? Yeah. Okay, now she's just an <laughs> idiot. Okay, now I will disparage her all I want now. And uh, to quote myself That's, from a prior episode, Charlie cake. can do that because she is a woman. <laughs> a man oh. and a woman. Oh my God, that was the dumbest <laughs> shit ever. What the I f- couldn't believe that. I literally watched that and I was just like, wow. So yeah, so he's charged with this, living with Klepfer. She's, I, I don't know what the fuck's going on with her. But at this point, Seattle investigators also had enough evidence to charge him. And they would keep him under constant surveillance. So that uh, $15,000 bail deal that he got, um, that was actually granted to him by John Henry Brown, uh, who is a renowned defense attorney that ended up taking Bundy's case pro bono. Um, But Brown would soon after abandon him, though, because uh, he saw that Bundy was actually pretty self-fucking-destructive. I gotta say, I love these parts of the episodes when... You know, like everything starts falling into place and these scumbags are, you know, usually none the wiser as like, you know, the inevitable creeps closer and closer. I cannot wait till we get to the end and this guy gets the need. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on. Don't spoil it. We're getting there. Anyways, the following November, three of the principal investigators of the case, uh, Thompson from Utah, Keppel from Washington, and Fisher from Colorado all met at what they called the Aspen Summit, where those three investigators had shared information with 30 detectives and prosecutors from five different states. Everybody's getting in on this shit. So everybody knew that Bundy was their man, but they all agreed that more hard evidence was uh, needed to undoubtedly get him on any number of the murders. Keep in mind, which we did neglect to mention before, um, by this time, most of the bodies of the missing women had been found. They had discovered Ted's little forest graveyard, along with the other places that he had dumped bodies, and this information was obviously uh, shared, but they still wanted more and essentially needed more to tie him to the killings. Yeah, shit. Sorry about that. Um... Yeah, how the fuck did we miss it? Fuck. Sorry. Um, it's There's a lot. If you couldn't tell by the first half of this episode. There's a lot of info here. There is. There is. And the first half of this episode, I'm pretty fucking frantically scatterbrained right now, okay? Apologize. I take all the blame. I will no receive none of the punishment. No one's blaming you for anything. No, no, no. I take all of the blame, but I receive none of the punishment. It's fine. Oh, okay. So, Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, they had recovered a number of the remains from his victims uh, between March and June of 1975, I believe it was. Um, And then in February of 1976, he ended up standing trial for the kidnapping of Durant. 
And because there was a surplus of negative publicity around the case, Bundy ended up waiving the right to a jury trial, prompting a four-day bench trial and a weekend of deliberation. In June, Judge Stuart Hansen Jr. found Bundy guilty, and he was sentenced to 1 to 15 years in Utah State Prison. But, a few months into his sentence, in October to be exact, he was found hiding among some bushes in the prison yard, carrying a fucking escape kit, which consisted of roadmaps, airline schedules, and a social security card. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm trying to figure out the logic. Like, alright, alright, I got my, I got my kit, okay? You see, I got my kit. I got, I got this, I got a social security card, I got the plane schedules, train schedules. I'm in a prison, right? There's all these, I'm fenced in, I'm fenced in. Hide in the fucking bushes. Genius. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> so yeah. He got caught. Fucking obviously. And he spent several weeks in solitary. Because of his fucking stupidity. And he was charged later that month in Colorado for Karen Campbell's murder. Um, which he had waived extra uh, extradition proceedings um, after briefly trying to fight them. Um, and he would end up being transferred to Aspen in January of 1977, where he would uh, attempt a daring yet successful escape. And it wouldn't be until June 7th that Bundy would be transported from Garfield County Jail in Glenwood Springs to Picton County Courthouse in Aspen, for his preliminary hearing. So, he was exempt from wearing... This is how he escaped. He was exempt from wearing any handcuffs or shackles because he had opted to be his own attorney, which was all part of his escape plan. During one of the proceedings' recesses, Bundy had asked to visit the law library so that he could study his case, and while he was in there, he blocked the guard's view, you know, hiding behind a bookcase, opened a window... And jumped out from the second story of the fucking courthouse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it, like some straight up old movie shit. I like remember. Literally. I remember seeing that. I mean, not the actual jump, obviously, but uh, the like the building that he jumped out of. And I had no clue that he had ever escaped. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he literally just opened a fucking window and was like, bloop. Bye. <laughs> like. So yeah, he jumps out the second story window of this. Dude. (laughs) Oh, shit. So yeah, jumps out the second story window of the courthouse. And although he'd injured his ankle, um, you know, he ventured through Aspen, evading roadblocks. And then he hiked to Aspen Mountain, where he broke into a cabin and stole food, clothing, and a rifle. He then spent the next couple of days literally lost in the mountains, like had no idea where the fuck he was going. And on June 10th, he had made it 10 miles away to Maroon Lake, where he broke into a camping trailer. After that, he went back north to Aspen, stole a car, and drove through Aspen until he'd gotten pulled over for swerving due to his ankle. What a dumbass. Uh, I just escaped Aspen, so let's go back. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, dude. Like he hid, he hid in the fucking bushes in a fenced-in prison yard. Are you fucking kidding me? Like, so he's oh back God. in jail, and 
ignored all advice given to him to just stay put. I mean, he very likely could have beaten the case in Colorado and dissuaded other prosecutors and only had maybe a year and a half to serve in the Durange case. But no, he decided to escape again. He had everything going for him. Evidence was consistently ruled as inadmissible, and the case against him was steadily deteriorating. Over the span of six months, he acquired a hacksaw, $500, and other items for escape with the help of another woman he was seeing, uh, who he would later marry, uh, a woman named Carol Ann Boone. Oh, yeah, really quick. So Carol Ann Boone was actually one of the... I mean, I know he wasn't married to anybody prior, but, like, one of the mistresses mm. from the emergency services job he had. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then, she was his side hoe. <laughs> yeah, apparently. And an idiot. So, over the span of who knows how many nights, he would saw away at the steel reinforcing bars in his cell's ceiling and after having lost a significant amount of weight, he was able to wriggle through into the crawl space above. He would then spend the next several weeks doing practice runs and exploring the space. Some inmates reported movement happening in the ceiling, but uh, the reports were never investigated. Yeah, dude, it's just the rats. These are the living conditions. <laughs> you know this. <laughs> In late 1977, his trial became quite the uh, cause célèbre in Aspen, and he'd filed a motion to change the venue to Denver. His request was granted, however, it wasn't to Denver, it was instead to Colorado Springs, where apparently juries were particularly hostile towards murder suspects. And the night Good. of December 30th... Good. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Guards were with their family, and um, nonviolent prisoners were on furlough with their families, so Bundy executed his second escape, broke right into the chief jailer's office, who was out, changed his clothes, and walked right out the front door. He stole a car, traveled to Glenwood Springs, hitched a ride with another driver to Vail, caught... Oh, I know someone who lives there. Um caught a bus to Denver, and boarded a flight to Chicago. No, you stay the fuck out of our city. Oh, this is even better. His escape wasn't noticed until 17 hours later. Oh, my God. And he, of course, was long fucking gone. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. So, fuck Ted Bundy, prisoner escapee extraordinaire, everybody. This is why police don't get vacations, okay? It's because of people like this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so he gets to Chicago. He has no intention of fucking slowing down. So he went from Chicago to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where five days later, he would steal a car, drive all the way down to Hotlanta, where he boarded a bus to Tallahassee, Florida. By January 8th, what was that, like a day after or two days after or something like that? Yeah. He had literally made it halfway across the fucking country. <laughs> like, this is, this, I finally understand the show The First 48 now. It yep. literally is that crucial. Mm-hmm. Damn. Good job, science. 
you did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. But, yeah, so, he's in Florida now, and uh, while he's in Florida, he rented a room near uh, Florida State University under the alias of Chris Hagen, and uh, Bundy would later say in an interview that he wanted to find legit employment and, quote, refrain from further criminal activity, end quote, but his only job application at a construction site was abandoned because... He, he was asked to provide proof of identification. <laughs> so, looks like you're trying real fucking hard there, buddy. Um, so, yeah. He would uh, resort to petty theft. And just one short week... I need to stop, like, clicking my fucking tongue. So, yeah. He resorted to petty theft. And just one short week after arriving in Florida, he was back to his old bullshit ways and bludgeoned a 21-year-old student... Margaret Bowman, that lived at the Shy Omega sorority house. After he was done, because he's fucking Billy Mays of the 70s, but in the worst possible way, he went on to assault another woman, Lisa Levi, and with her, he beat her unconscious, strangled her. Oh, oh, here's some fucking Kuklinski shit. He tore off one of her nipples. Ew. And sexual, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't fucking get it. Why? What? I I don't know. I can't even... In, in even my most manic state, I cannot find the logic behind that. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know either. Anyways. Um, so yeah, he did some Kuklinski shit. And uh, sexually assaulted her with a hair mist bottle? Is that like a what is it like a spray like a thing a hairspray? I guess. What the fuck is with him and shoving things up girls? He's just a psycho. Pooters. He's not alive anymore. I want to interview him. <laughs> Let's get in touch with RL. I need to get into the astral realm. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! But uh, yeah, so assaulted two more women, killed them did horrible shit to him. I'm going to go on a limb and say he clearly had no desire to fucking change. You know, his attacks on these women were as heinous as they come. And of course, he does it while they're sleeping and defensive like a little fucking bitch that he is. But it wouldn't stop there. He did go on to attack two more women that lived in the house. Kathy Kleiner, whose, uh, whose jaw he broke and deeply cut her shoulder. And then Karen Chandler who got a concussion, a broken jaw, uh, lost some of her teeth, and suffered a crushed finger. Both women did survive the attacks, but only because some headlights, uh, I get like someone like turned into a driver or something, and their headlights had illuminated the room that they were in. Mm. And it, yeah, and it scared them off. So all four attacks happened in under 15 minutes, and nobody heard a fucking thing. Nothing. Wow. Yeah. Lisa Levy died too, actually. Oh, shit, did she? Yeah. Fuck. But yeah, so nobody heard anything. And that same night, he would break into another house, which was eight blocks away. And he attacked a woman named Cheryl Thomas. Um, and this attack was so gruesome that she was left permanently deaf and had severe equilibrium damage, which ended her aspirations as a dancer. 
Wow. All for fucking nothing. Yeah. Literally fucking nothing. She did nothing. <sighs> she... It, why? Yeah, and... Did, actually, do you know if there's any, like, Mindhunter-type shit shows, reports, or anything? Like, psycho did psychologists or psychiatrists interview him before he died? I think there's quite a few interviews with him online, if you go on YouTube. I feel like I've seen some. Yeah, because I'm, like, I'm sure there's some with, obviously, like, the people that wrote the books and everything, but I want to know, like, the psychological breakdown. I mean, if I remember correctly, because it's been a long time ago, he is just very, you can tell he's a liar, and you can tell that he's full of himself. Like, so, like truly thinks he's I'm, God's like, gift. Narcissistic. Mm-hmm. But, like, what, what was there any reasoning, fucked up or not, behind... I don't remember of... all the details. Gotcha. I'll look into it. Um, yeah, so after what he did at the sorority house, um, he wasn't even done. In fact, he was far from done. Um, even though police had found semen and a mask with hair similar to Ted's, uh, he was able to evade capture, and on February 8th, he drove to Jacksonville, 150 miles away, in a stolen FSU van, he approached a 14-year-old girl named Leslie Parmenter, the daughter of the Jacksonville Police Department's chief of detectives, uh, while posing as a fireman named Richard Burton, but retreated when her older brother came up and challenged him. So see, Good. just like we've been saying, the second anyone that can size them up arrives, they fucking run because they're cowards. And Bundy's no different. Yep. Big facts. Um, he traveled back westward that afternoon and abducted 12-year-old Kimberly Leach after being asked to retrieve a forgotten purse. Her body would be found seven weeks later, 35 miles away. She had been assaulted, her throat was cut, and semen was found at the scene. Um, fearing police were getting close and unable to pay his overdue rent, Bundy fled back to Tallahassee in a stolen car, and then three days later, around 1 a.m., he was stopped by Pensacola officer David Lee near the Alabama state line. After running a wants and warrants check, Lee discovered that the Volkswagen Bundy was driving was stolen and told Bundy he was under arrest. Ted attacked the officer, uh, kicked his legs out from under him, and began running. Oh, that's Lee such a bitch move. He he literally didn't even try to fight the cop. He just tried to run away. Mm-hmm. Lee fired two shots towards Bundy before he ended up tackling him to the ground. There was a bit of a struggle, but Lee overpowered Bundy and arrested him. When the car was searched, the IDs of female FSU students, 21 stolen credit cards, and a stolen TV set were recovered. He also recovered the disguise that Bundy had worn when he pretended to be um, that guy Richard Burton. Lee was completely unaware that he had just arrested one of the FBI's 10 most wanted, and during the drive to jail, Bundy commented, quote, I wish you had killed me. In June 1979, 
Bundy stood trial for the Shy Omega sorority attacks. The trial brought with it 250 reporters from five continents, and it was televised nationally in the U.S. Bundy opted to defend himself despite the presence of five court-appointed attorneys and would end up, quote, sabotaging the entire defense effort out of spite, distrust, and grandiose delusion. Uh, and that was according to Nelson. And I'm presuming that Polly... I'm presuming that Nelson is Polly Nelson because she was one of the attorneys on his case, although that wasn't until 1986, so I'm not sure. Um, yeah, he I had think a handful that was the of... only, like, Nelson name that I came across. Yeah, it probably is her. Uh, Bundy had a handful of attorneys rotating in and out. Either way, he wanted to be in charge regardless of the charges and punishments leveled against him. Yeah. Um, there... There was a pre-trial uh, plea agreement negotiated where he would plead guilty to killing Levi, Bowman, and Leach and would get a firm 75-year sentence. Apparently, prosecutors were happy with the deal because there was speculation that they wouldn't be able to win at trial. Bundy viewed this as a means to avoid the death penalty and a tactical move because he could enter the plea wait a few years for evidence to disintegrate or be lost or witnesses to die or move or retract their testimony. And he could, quote, file a post-conviction motion to set aside the plea and secure an acquittal, end quote. What a... What a calculating fuck. I mean, I'll be honest, I commend the strategy, but Jesus Christ. Jesus uh, Christ. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fuck was that i don't know are you trying to fucking quote big gay owl or something no what's that from who says that judith christ that's big gay owl from south park oh okay yeah i guess yeah. I, am. <laughs> I guess judith so christ. unintentionally <laughs> <laughs> holy shit oh god Congratulations, you're getting a raise. You are now a method voice actor. Wow. Yay. Oh, yes, band guys. Uh, the raise comes with no added money to your paycheck, though. Well, that sounds about right. <laughs> anyway. Don't make it sound that bad. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I promise I pay Charlie, everybody. She just has to submit her invoices, which then go into my shredder. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, shit. Anyways, yes. It gets better, though. At the last second, guess what Bundy did? He refused the fucking deal. Of course he did. Yeah, yeah. And the reason he refused it is because he realized that he would have to confront the entire world and say that he was guilty, which he refused to fucking do. What a piece of shit fucking narcissist. Yep. So, rejects the deal. He went to trial, solid evidence was brought against him, and in under seven hours, the jury convicted him on July 24th, 1979. He was found guilty on three counts of first-degree murder and two counts of uh, burglary. Trial judge Edward Cowart handed down the death sentence on all the murder convictions. Fucking thank you, judge. Good job. Fucking proud of you. And then Bundy 
would go on to face a second trial six months later in Orlando for the abduction of Kimberly Leach, which he was found guilty of in under eight hours. Yeah, he did something odd during that trial. Um, Apparently, there is some obscure law in Florida allowing a declaration of marriage during court in the presence of the judge um, that constitutes legal marriage. So he proposed to Carol Ann Boone, and they were married right then and there. What the fuck? Weird flex, but okay. Uh, (laughs) On February 10th, 1980, for a third time, Bundy received a death sentence via electrocution. When the sentence was announced, he stood up and yelled, Tell the jury they were wrong! And uh, this death sentence would ultimately be the one carried out nine years later. And the story isn't over yet. In October 1981, Boone gave birth to a daughter and named Bundy as the father. Oh, shit! Sometimes the stupidity of women is... It's something. It is something. And that's all we have to say on that. (laughs) (laughs) Just cannot... Yeah, and yeah, no, for for several reasons, we're not even going to try and get into the daughter, you know, for obvious reasons, but we will get into the appeals and stuff leading up to him finally being fucking killed shortly after the Leach trial had concluded and the arduous process of appeals commenced, Bundy took part in a series of interviews. He confirmed Klepfer's suspicions of him stealing nearly everything that they had. Um, he had said that he just enjoyed, quote, possessing things. Um, and that that was his motive for the rapes and murders as well. He also spoke with Special Agent William Hag- uh, Hagmeyer, Hagmeyer uh, of the F- uh, Oh, the FBI's fucking BAU, the Behavioral Analysis Unit. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love when they get mentioned on the show. So, according to... Oh, shit. I wrote down his name wrong. What do you think it is? Hagmeyer or Hasmeyer? Hagmeyer. Okay, let me... I just want to double check really quick. William Hag. Ted Bundy. Okay, it is Hagmeyer. Good guess. Mm-hmm. Where'd the outline go? There it is. He also spoke with special... Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. (laughs) It makes it so much worse that I can't see your face. (laughs) I'm just going to start talking like that, and I'll give no rhyme or reason for why. (laughs) Record a whole episode like that. Bundy had a deep, almost mythical satisfaction in his murders. He was a thick (laughs) son of a bitch. I can't breathe. (laughs) Oh my god! Well, at least you're in a better mood. Glad I could help. (laughs) Uh, Lana, Lena, however you say your name... I really hope you enjoy this extended edition of this episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
you are our only $5 subscriber, and we appreciate the shit out of you. We promise we will get you some bonus episodes soon. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. Third time's a charm. He also spoke with Special Agent William Hagmeyer of the FBI's BAU. Love when they get mentioned on the show. The Behavioral Analysis Unit. And according to Hagmeyer, Bundy had a, quote, deep, almost mystical satisfaction, end quote, in his murders. He was a sick son of a bitch. He really was. Like, that's really the only way to describe him. And I'm aware that even that's not enough. Like, I, I just, I, your old roommate told me that I'm verbose. And while I, it's not like bothering me. On, on, like, a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis. It's kind of bothering me now, so I'm just going to shush and get on with this. You're um, weird. Huh? You're weird. I know I'm weird. I think too <sighs> fucking much. Um, anyways, so, during his time in prison, um, guess, guess, he, he, guess what he did? He tried to fucking escape again. Guards found two hacksaw blades hidden in his cell in July of 1984. So, yeah. And the best part is Bundy had already sawed through one of the bars and made it look secure with some homemade adhesive. I think he used, like, soap and spit or some shit. So, after he was found with that, Bundy was moved to a different cell, and guards would later find an unauthorized mirror hidden, uh, causing them to be moved yet again. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that's an issue. It's a mirror. Oh, you know what? Maybe you can shank you somebody. turn it into shards yeah shiv or shank someone Mm -hmm. um but at this point in the story another prominent name in the now bustling true crime community would come into play oh yeah um in october of 1984 bundy got in touch with robert keppel the investigator from washington offering to help him with his self-proclaimed expertise in serial yeah. killer psychology. Okay. <laughs> Such an idiot. <laughs> During the hunt for Gary Ridgway, who was the Green River Killer. And no, this uh, is not foreshadowing. The Green River Killer is going to be way down the road. We're not doing yeah. that next. <laughs> Keppel and Dave Reichert from the task force dedicated to finding Ridgway interviewed Bundy. But, uh, yeah, he was of no help whatsoever. You don't fucking say. (laughs) Ridgway remained uncaptured for 17 years. Keppel even wrote a book called The River Man, Ted Bundy and I Hunt for the Green River Killer. (laughs) Okay, that's actually pretty fantastic. He's like, yeah, me and Ted Bundy going on an adventure, everybody. But Ted never really contributed anything. Yeah, Um, no, yeah, no, he didn't. Two years later, an execution date for Bundy was set for March 4th, 1986. Woo! This this date um, was set for the Shy Omega sorority crimes, but the Supreme Court issued a brief stay and the execution was swiftly rescheduled to July 2nd of that Son same of a year. Bitch. Is this In dude ever going to fucking die? I know. In April, Bundy confessed what appeared to be the full scope of his crimes. He explained that he would often go back to the grave sites and either lay with the bodies 
or perform sexual acts with them to the point that he wouldn't stop until putrefaction happened. What the? Um, Hold on. I didn't know he was a fucking disgusting-ass necrophiliac, too. Yeah, we get to add necrophilia to the list of his extracurricular activities. I'm going to go throw Um, up. Do you all know what putrefaction is? I'm just going to assume yes. I'm sure they can surmise. (laughs) Um... Bundy is recounted as saying, quote, if you've got time, they can be anything you want them to be. Yep. He also said he decapitated at least 12 of his victims and even kept some of the heads in his apartment before disposing of them. Bundy's execution date was drawing nearer, but with less than 15 hours before he was to be executed, the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals um, decided to stay it indefinitely and even remanded the Shy Omega case for review, primarily due to Bundy's mental competency to stand trial. There was also an erroneous instruction from the trial judge during the penalty phase where the jury had to break a 6-6 to tie between imprisonment and the death penalty, which was never formally resolved. A new date was ordered to carry out the sentence, November 18, 1986, but the 11th stepped in again and issued a stay on November 17th. Now, months later, in mid-1988, the 11th ruled against Bundy, and the Supreme Court denied a motion to review the ruling in December. Fucking finally! Thank God! Bundy's finally about to go under. It's about goddamn time. (laughs) So, within hours of the Supreme Court handing down their decision, a firm date would finally be set. January 2nd... Holy shit... (laughs) holy shit (laughs) we won't mention why we're laughing (laughs) January 2nd 1989 the peculiar thing with Bundy's appeals was that they happened unusually swiftly but everyone that knew the case wanted it dealt with immediately just to get it over and done with So, with all paths exhausted and nothing left that could possibly save him, Bundy finally submitted and spoke candidly with investigators. He committed... Committed? Confessed. Wow, I'm fucking dumb. (laughs) This is what happens when you read over a thousand pages of fucking literature to compose Mm -hmm. a two-piece on it. He confessed to all eight Washington and Oregon crimes, three of which were previously unknown and um, those he also refused to identify. Uh, Honestly, he likely didn't even know their names, which is sickening and sad in its own right. Um, He had described what happened with Donna Manson and that he had burned her head in Klepfer's fireplace. Oh. Uh, Yeah. So his comment on this was, quote, of all the things I did to Klepfer, this is probably the one she is least likely to forgive me for. Poor Liz, end quote. What? What? How did she not know that a head had been burned in her fireplace? That's a very good fucking question. How do you not smell that? 
that that's a very very good fucking question. That's it. We need to talk to Klepfer because she obviously knows something. <laughs> I'm looking her up on Facebook right motherfucking now. Oh god. Right motherfucking now. <laughs> I found her. <laughs> Gosh. Oh my god. But like I just Okay, obviously I don't know exactly how he said it, like his tone, but like poor Liz. Fuck you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I just I have a a very hard time believing that he had any actual remorse. And anyways, Nelson <coughs> Nelson even wrote about his lack of compassion, saying, quote, It was the absolute misogyny of his crimes that stunned me, his manifest rage against women. He had no compassion at all. He was totally engrossed in the details. <coughs> his murders were his life's accomplishments, end quote. Bundy also confessed to detectives from Idaho, Utah, and Colorado regarding the additional murders, and even some that were unknown to them. With his confessions did come some speculation, though, because the cases in which he did give details, there was actually nothing found. It was very quickly discovered that he did have an ulterior motive. Big fucking surprise. He was trying to trade further info for another stay in his execution. Like, <sighs> I commend the effort, but fuck you. Um, so in one last ditch effort, when uh, it was more than apparent that no further stays were coming, some of his supporters lobbied for executive clemency. So, uh, Diana uh, Weiner, who was a Florida attorney, had asked the families of Colorado and Utah victims to petition the governor of Florida at the time, a man named Bob Martinez, to postpone the execution, thus giving Bundy time to reveal the information. What a scumbag. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, lawyers. You did get a bad rap, but sometimes you guys do suck. So, <laughs> I, I mean, it should come as no surprise. All of the families refused. And Martinez made it very fucking clear that he wouldn't agree to any further delays regardless of the cause. Boone was devastated because she'd been championing his innocence you know, and then he finally confessed his guilt. Um, so she would end up moving back to Washington with her daughter. And on the morning of his execution, she refused his phone call. Cold shoulder. Nice. <laughs> so the evening before his execution, he spoke of suicide because he, quote, didn't want to give the state the satisfaction of watching him die, end quote. Yeah, good luck. So finally, at 7.16 a.m., Eastern Standard Time on January 4th, 1989, Ted Bundy was electrocuted via electric chair at Rayford. Fucking finally. Hundreds of people gathered near the facility and set off fireworks across from the prison while his execution was being carried out. Good. When the hearse left the prison with Bundy's body, everybody cheered. He was cremated in Gainesville and his ashes scattered at an undisclosed location in the Cascade Range of Washington in accordance with his will. 
And that, everyone, is the story of Ted the Coward Shithead Bundy, mass murderer that kidnapped women in the dead of night and ran from anyone who dared to challenge him because he would probably get his twerpy little ass kicked. Honestly, I'm sure you'd be able to take him down in a fight. I, I don't know, dude. He did wrestle with a cop. And I, lost. True, true. And, like, at, actually, yeah, I just, he he ran when uh, the 14-year-old's brother confronted him. So, I mean, maybe. Give me a week to brush up on my boxing. And I think I think I can go 12 rounds with him, if it even takes that long. <laughs> so, regardless of all that, thank you so much to everybody for tuning in. I, in particular, really hope you enjoyed this two-part series. By no means is this meant as a brag of any type. I, I genuinely worked tirelessly sifting through literally over a thousand pages of, of like just text, documents, books, news articles, web pages, everything to put these two episodes together. I wanted to provide as much detail as possible to really tell the whole story without turning it into like a massive drawn out thing. <coughs> Klinsky. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I think you did a good job. That much information and you broke it down into just two episodes commendable oh thank you i appreciate so yeah um that is ted the bitch boy bundy ted the fucking coward cowl and i I can't think of a good uh good nickname to give him for the last name nelson or whatever his other last name was um but yeah that's it everybody if uh you would like to follow us to keep up with everything be sure to find us on facebook instagram or twitter preferably Instagram, at CYS Podcast. If you are up for supporting our endeavors and bringing you great content, please consider subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash CYS Podcast. I am working nearly around the clock to bring as many rewards to each tier as possible, and as always, any and all support is so greatly appreciated. If you would like to follow me, you can find me on Instagram at shelbatron underscore one. And you can find me at charlie underscore CYS. If there are any corrections or details you would like to offer or add for this series, uh, please feel free to send that info to cyspod at gmail.com and be sure to include your source material. Thank you all again for tuning in and we'll see you next time. Good night. Let's bring Bundy back from the dead and I'll box him. We'll see who the better fighter is.